have a Bible this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapters 25 and 26. A couple of chapters today we'll cover. Um, and today, it, I'm sorry, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. You can borrow it or keep it as you have need. And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up and find our live event and track along with the sermon notes and the scriptures and other important information there. Okay, so all of that's there. Um, we are going to uh, um, jump in and do, do these couple of chapters here under the, the broad theme, that the, the biggest theme that we're talking about in this section of Acts is tell your story, that God has given us a story to tell and he has written us into his story. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's written you into God's, the story that God is telling in the world. And so we then have an opportunity to represent that in the ways that we, uh, the ways that we act and the things that we say, the opportunities that we get to step through and then just talk about what God has done. So um, that's kind of the, the big umbrella that we're under right now. And today specifically, um, I want to talk about why. Why is it important to tell your story? So we're going to look, Paul's going to tell his testimony. Now, this is the third time in the book of Acts where Luke has recorded that this has happened. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and now chapter 26. Why is it important to tell your story? That's kind of what we're after today. So just as a setting, um, uh, Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, he's been uh, almost killed by a mob. The Romans rescue him. They almost kill him by, by uh, uh, putting him, going to whip him until he confesses to something or whatever. Um, he ends up uh, in jail under the custody of the, uh, of the Roman proconsul, the kind of mayor of the area or governor of the area. Um, and he spends a couple of years in jail. That guy's name was, excuse me, that guy's name was Felix. Um, and now two years have passed and he is now, there's a new governor that's come to town uh, and his name is Festus. Okay. So Felix is gone. Festus has come. Two years have passed and um, uh, Festus doesn't really know much what to do with uh, Paul. And so Paul, he, put, he puts him on trial again and there's some arguing going on with the Jews and with the Romans and this kind of thing. Uh, and ultimately, we're going to pick up this story here in verse 11, okay, of chapter 25, 25 verse 11. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not escape death. I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Every Roman citizen had the right to have his or her case heard um, at the imperial level, like he could or she could appeal and be heard by, uh, by Caesar um, himself. And so that's what Paul has done. Paul's like, I've been sitting here rotting in this jail. Uh, Festus wanted me to pay him off. Excuse me, Felix wanted me to pay him off. Um, bribe him to get out. Paul's like, I ain't having any of that. That, that uh, denigrates my integrity. Instead, uh, I will just continue to live here and continue to tell my story. So verse 12 of chapter 25, then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered to Caesar, you've appealed and to Caesar, you shall go. So that's kind of where we are. Um, and now uh, we're picking up the story here. Verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king. Okay, so just it's a little bit confusing, the governmental structure. Um, there was kind of a, a, a regional king over the area who was somewhat ethnically tied to the people that he was supposed to be governing. That's who Agrippa is. And then you've got the Roman governor. Okay, so Roman governor. He's Roman. Uh, kind of more ethnic regional king. That's Agrippa. Festus Agrippa. Everybody with me? Nod your head. Okay, perfect. Um, verse 14. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders and Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. They wanted him dead. Verse 16. 
I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face, had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day, the very next day, I took my seat on the tribunal, ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. What was Festus thinking was going to happen? Oh, he's a murderer. He's an assassin. He's causing, uh, trying to get an insurrection together or some sort of coup. None of that. Verse 19. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead by whom Paul asserted, uh, excuse me, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So just pause right there for just a second. What was the key issue that Festus could identify in the dispute? What was it? It was the resurrection of Jesus, right? Right. That even, even the Roman governor, who didn't understand a lick of any of this, understood that the issue was whether or not Jesus got up from the dead. What is at the very heart of Christianity? The resurrection. Okay, so like this is not something new and something different. So Paul's not like tailoring the message. This is the message. Even Festus got that. So verse 20, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But Paul had appealed to be kept in custody uh, for the decision of the emperor. I ordered him to be held until I could send to him Caesar, send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man tomorrow myself. Uh, so he said, okay, tomorrow you, you are going to hear him. So I want to think about three words this morning under the heading of why it's important to tell your story. We're going to start there in chapter 25. We'll skip down to chapter 26 in just a second. Uh, The first word is the word ripples. Ripples, okay? You drop a pebble in a pond, you get ripples. You drop a larger stone in a pond, you get larger ripples, right? That's the idea. And and there's two things I want to say under this idea of ripples. First of all is that Paul's ripples, the, the, the story that he tells... And the ripples that are affected as, uh, or uh, in place in light of that, as a result of that, those ripples go into two, different, two very different spheres. One is they go into local politics. I mean, here we've got the governor and kind of the regional king of the area, uh, Agrippa there and, and Festus, and, and they don't always get along, but here they are coming together, talking about Paul. And so you have, you have this really... Um, uh, maybe strong sense that Paul is such a figure and the things that he's saying are so kind of stirring it up that it's, a, it's affecting these two um, leaders, these two politicians that they've now come together, right? Which is strange. I mean, it's strange that these two people would kind of be consorting. So Paul's ripples, they, they go into local politics. I say that to remind us of what I said last week and what I think the Bible is, is pushing us on here uh, in these particular days as we think about Paul. Next year, 2020 is an election year. Everybody excited? Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's 48 Democrats running for president. You may love one of them. You may love the current president. You may wish you, whatever, whatever your issue is. Here's the thing. I think the challenge based on the model of Paul here is for you and I to be so committed to the kingdom that it shapes our culture. Not, not turning that around. We are so committing to shaping our culture so that the kingdom would come. That's not how this works. The kingdom of God does, God does not come in cultures. It comes in human hearts. And so you and I then are so committed to that, that our, our lives have, and, and, and the, the commitment that we have to the kingdom is so consequential that the ripples go out and affect our culture, wherever your culture may be, your school, your office, your government. 
But what we don't want to do is get that backwards. We don't want to try to culture shape first in order that the kingdom would come. We, we want to be a people committed to the kingdom, that kingdom that is unshakable, that doesn't go up for a vote every four years. That's what we want to be committed to. So Paul's story, it ripples into local politics, into that particular sphere. But also, and probably in my mind, more importantly, Paul's story also ripples into people's lives. It ripples into people's lives. And so um, here, what we've got here, and this, it just came to me this week. I'm like, how did this happen? Um, we've got a, a, an account of a private conversation between Festus and King Agrippa. How did that happen? Was Luke there? No. Was Paul there? No, he was in jail. Somewhere along the way, somebody, a household servant or somebody like that, heard about what was going on, uh, uh, a person in the court, whatever, heard what was going on, and that story so impacted them that when Luke started getting ready to write Acts and research, hey, I kind of wonder what happened here. They were friendly enough to Christianity or had become a Christian themselves such that they go, oh, here's what happened, Luke. Festus said this, and Agrippa said that, and Festus said that. So, what I'm saying is Paul didn't intend necessarily to affect the lives of that household servant or that, that uh, court appointee or whomever it was who told Luke this story, but it did. The, the fact that Paul's story rippled into that person's life so that Luke could have an account of this, so that you and I could have an account of this, I think shows the power of the, of the stories that you and I get to be a part of. It, his he, he, his ripples reached far beyond anything that he thought or any place that he intended that they go. That's true for us too. I, you know, here we are a couple, maybe 18 months ago, maybe a little bit less. I'm down in the dollar store uh, buying something for someone. I'm not sure which. And uh, I've got on a Heritage Park t-shirt, two baskets back. I'm in line, two baskets back. Hey, Am I going to have to fight somebody? Like, what's going on here? Hey, you. Yes, yes, ma'am. Are you a part of that church? <laughs> well, it dep- no, it doesn't. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. What did one of our deacons do? Tell me. No, no, that's not what I said. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm a part of this church. She goes, hey, y'all helped us in Harvey. We wouldn't have made it without you. Ma'am, I'm just standing here in a dollar store. Don't, don't do this to me right now. You know, you suck. Like, okay, God, thank you so much for getting a part of it. Then, 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 she goes, hey, that church, they help people. <laughs> yeah, and the pastor's good looking, and I, I mean, like all that. <laughs> I say that to say this, like, there are ripples. We as a church have, have seen this. When God brings something to our lives and we get to be a part of something, like, it's not just a pebble. Like Our, our, our commitment is, is almost meteoric, right? I mean, it, it is not a, a, just a small little thing. It is a, a consequential wave that goes places that we never would have guessed. It's just, just how it works. Applying that to our today. As we think about as a church family, planting a church on the kind of western side of that Texas City area, uh, that mid-county, uh, mid-Galveston County area, as we think about us church planting a church, 
You know what we're going to need? We're going to need ripples to wash up down there. Things to reach where we never would have intended. So what do we then need to do? We need to tell our story. Why is it important to tell our story? Well, simply because the ripples go places that we never would have thought. So we need to continue to be a part of this. I think that's one of the big challenges for us as a church family as we think about 2020 and planting, Lord willing, in 2021, that we would be a people who consistently tell our story and let the ripples go out. Um, this has come up, and I just, I just set this before you as something to think about in light of, in light of the ripples. Um, this has come up four times in the past 10 days for me. And I thought, Man, this year is coming up a lot. Maybe I need to say something to our church family about it. I just, I, I've tried to explain it uh, to different people that I'm interacting with who don't know Jesus, um, but are on the, in, the, in the process of, of coming to know him. And I try to explain it this way, this little three-step process. I just put the graphic up there so that hopefully it would have a little bit more sticking power. Um, this is not true for everybody. Let me say that. It's not true for everybody, but it has been true in my pastoral experience. It has been true for a lot of adults who come to know Jesus. First, they have a place to belong. They connect with somebody or somebody's relationally. They get, they get tied in relationally. They're just, they're just in, okay? And so they become friends or they see them on the soccer field or whatever. You just, you kind of get tied in there. And you think, man, these are nice people uh, or they're good people. Or, hey, hey, you at that church? They help people during Harvey. Yeah, I mean, like, they just, they have a place to belong. And some of you in your minds, this is part of your story. Like, yeah, I actually connected with some people before any of this faith stuff made sense. So the first step, again, it's not for everybody, but, but I, think, I think this is a process for a lot of people. They, they connect relationally first. They belong somewhere, which is why our, our culture of invitation, as we talk about it around here, is so important. We want to invite people to belong. Okay, secondly, they, they start hanging around people. And they're like, man, these people... Um, they, 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 what do they have in common? Because they seem to be different. Well, what they have in common is a belief. And what is that belief? That Jesus is the Lord, that he has defeated sin and death, and that he reigns over everything, and he has risen from the dead, and is alive today, and indwelling us by his Holy Spirit. They believe something. They believe something. And so they move from kind of that first step of, of, of belonging to that next stage of, oh, yes, I see what they believe, and I, too, believe this. And then they change the way that they behave. Their lives are transformed as a result of belonging somewhere, of believing something, their, their lives are transformed. And so, as I said, that's come up four different times in the past 10 days. I thought I'd just set that before you as one expression of how ripples reach places that we don't ever know that they will go or don't ever anticipate that they'll go. And if you... Um, can identify somebody along that little track there, my, my guess is, is that you can, oh, yeah, 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 I know somebody like that, or I know somebody kind of at that stage or right in between here and there. I just, I just want to set that before you as like, this is a normal process by which people um, can come to know Jesus and follow him. So, and, and all of it starts with you telling your story and the ripples and how it moves people along as that happens. Okay, so that's word number one, ripples. Secondly, um, is we're moving to chapter 26 here. Uh, this word rehearsal, rehearsal. Um, we're going to start in verse four. Paul is going to rehearse his story for us. My manner of life, 26 verse four, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. Paul's like, I'm, I'm not a hidden quantity here. Uh, they, they have known for a long time 
if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I'm one of them, is what he's saying. Verse 6, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Let's just start there. What are we rehearsing? Why is it important? Because ripples go places we never anticipate, but also rehearsing. We, we rehearse this story, this story that God has given us and this story that he has invited us to live in. Why? Because one of the, the aspects of this is that we remind ourselves that God has made promises. God has made promises. Here's what he said. I stand here on trial, verse 6, because of my hope in the promise that God made to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. God has made promises. And then look at verse 8. Why is it thought incredible to any of you that God raises the dead? This is, again, what is... What is the crux of the matter? It's the resurrection of Jesus. And, and what is Paul testifying to? He is testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. And so the second part is that not only has God made promises, we need to rehearse that. But secondly, God has then acted to secure those promises. We sing the song in here. All your promises are, you know the song, are what? Yes and amen. That's based on 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 where Paul specifically writes to the Corinthian church and he says, hey, listen, all of the promises to God, of God to us in Jesus are yes and amen. He is the guarantee of the fulfillment of all of the promises. In other words, if God promised that he would send Jesus to die and to rise again and he did it, you can count on him to fulfill the rest of the promises too. If God took care of the big promise, capital T, capital P promise, then he'll take care of the other promises too. And so he has not only made promises to us, but he has also acted to fulfill those promises, to secure those promises. Why is it a big surprise to any of you that God would raise the dead? Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Nice guy, Paul. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. He's, Jesus says to him, hey, you're, you're like an ox or something who's kicking back against the sharp things that are prodding you. I'm trying to get your attention, Paul, and you keep kicking against them, which is the, the third thing that we need to rehearse, that we need to remind ourselves of, is that not only has God made promises, yes and amen to those, and not only has he acted to secure those promises uh, in Jesus to us, but thankfully, God has dealt mercifully with sinners. In a letter to Timothy, Paul said, um, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul said, hey, when it comes to sinning, like I'm the chief, like you know how you pull the numbers to get service? Like I'm number one. Everybody else is in line behind me when it comes to sinning. And if he dealt mercifully with me, then he can deal mercifully with others too. He has dealt mercifully with sinners. God could have knocked him off the horse and struck him with a lightning bolt. Instead, he knocked him off the horse and spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm trying to get your attention, and you're just kicking against what the, the things that I'm using to grab your attention, buddy. He's merciful towards sinners. 
Why is that important to rehearse in our lives? Number one, you're a sinner. <laughs> like, you, apart from Jesus, you will curve inward on yourself towards selfishness and self-destruction. And secondly, everybody you know is in the same spot. So we need, we need to remind ourselves to rehearse this message that Jesus deals mercifully with sinners. Verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So not only does he deal mercifully with sinners, but he, he doesn't leave us wondering who he is. This God who, who deals mercifully with sinners, he doesn't leave us wondering who he is. He has revealed himself in Jesus. And that's critical to say in these days. Because these days, when people say God, they can mean any number of things. Just this week, I don't know if you saw it or not, it popped up on multiple kind of Christian sites. There's a thoroughly liberal seminary, but they call themselves a Christian seminary, um, uh, in New York uh, that had a, a, a service to confess their sins to plants. I wish I was making this up. I'm not. I was actually wondering how many plants they inhaled before they did this service. <laughs> which is a completely different issue altogether. I'm saying to that to say, I, it, like it, it could not have been dumber. I, the, they posted it on their social media and just got, as you can imagine, sizzled for it. But their last, their last statement on the social media thing was, what do you confess to your plants? <laughs> that I like you fried in cornmeal. I mean, like, what do you say? Like, that I don't like all of you. You know, like that if you put bacon on you, you taste better. I mean, what do you say? <laughs> how did that, how did we get off on that? It's your fault. I'm sure it is. I don't know how that happened. Okay. God, God has revealed himself in Jesus. And, and that's how we got there. It's so important to say these days. It's so important to say these days. If you're looking for God, who do we look for? We look for Jesus. That is a, it's an important thing to remind ourselves of because people come knocking on your door or seminaries have crazy moments or any number of other things. It's important to remind ourselves that if we're looking for God, we look to Jesus. We, he has revealed himself in Jesus. Verse 16 and 17. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, Jesus says, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me do and excuse me, which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So he not only, uh, um, uh, we rehearse that not only has God made promises, we rehearse that God has acted to secure those promises, that God deals mercifully with sinners. He's revealed himself to us in Jesus. Doesn't leave us wondering what he's like. Uh, and lastly, that God provides purpose for you and for me. He provides purpose. He is going to send us out with this profound message. God's going to send us out. So um, I, I use the word rehearsal uh, kind of on purpose. This is not recitation, and it's not just repeating ourselves. This is rehearsal. So Frank and the band, uh, early this morning, they're in here, and they're going through a rehearsal, right? And they're playing along, and at times Frank or somebody go, wait, 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 stop. 
Let's fix that. Go back and play that part. Hey, stop. Would that sound better this way? Like there are moments where they pause and they think long and hard about what they're doing right here. They're going to practice that little moment, that little thing, that little transition, that little key, whatever it is. They're going to practice that because they're rehearsing, right? They're not simply reciting. They're not simply repeating. They're they're rehearsing. There's a difference there. And for you and for me, we're not going to just repeat as if this is something to remember just by rote memory. Um, We're not going to just recite these things like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. No, we're going to rehearse them in our minds. Why is that so critical? For two reasons. Number one, if you spiritually are at a place where you're struggling or dry or something like that, you come into a worship service, you're like, man, everybody else seems to be really engaged. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can really get the engine going. Here's what I would pastor. If you were in my office, sitting across my little table from me, this is what I would say to you. I would say, tell me about the last time you rehearsed this story of what God has done, that he's made promises, secured those promises in Jesus, dealt mercifully with sinners, revealed himself in Jesus and given you purpose. When have you rehearsed that story in your own life? Because when we rehearse that story, then that fuels, that, that provides fuel for God to light so that our passion can burn. If you're lacking passion, there may be other things going on, but if you're lacking passion, that would be the place that I started. I would go, tell me, when have you rehearsed this story to yourself? And not only does it fuel our passion, but secondly, it primes the pump so that when opportunities do come, we get to share the message. And that's the third word, this this idea of the gospel, this idea of the gospel. Um, why do we tell our story? Well, there's ripples effect. They go places where we never would have anticipated. There's the rehearsal aspect that, that keeps us fueled up for our own passion and for sharing. And lastly, this, we, we do it because this is the gospel. This is the story that God has invited us into. So let's start in verse 18. And we'll just remind ourselves of what this gospel is. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. God is sending uh, Paul, uh, Jesus is sending Paul to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So let's start there. This message starts with the idea of transformation, right? It starts with the idea of transformation, darkness to light, the power of Satan to God, death to life. This is the message that you and I get to be a part of. This is the good news of Jesus. It is not religious conformity, even in a place where we belong, right? It is not about conforming externally to some set of norms or mores. This is a matter of, of you and I being transformed from the inside out, that God comes into our lives, destroys the, the, the darkness that is inside, and brings light there and life there where there previously was darkness and death. This is transformation. This message, this story that we tell, the story of the gospel is the story of transformation. Secondly, in the middle of verse 18 there, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This story is a story of forgiveness. The message is about forgiveness. It is forgiveness. It's a declaration of forgiveness. Now, this is uniquely, I think, difficult in our day. Why? Because nobody's ever wrong. It's not their fault. If you don't believe me, just ask them, right? And so in the conversations that I've had, even just this past week, um, in order to get, because I mean, you start talking about forgiveness and stuff, people are like, well, I mean, I don't really have much to be forgiven for. So so the the way, just pastorally, this is, is, 
I guess me just trying to help in some way. The way the pastorally I've started talking about that is I started talking about the brokenness in our world because it doesn't take very long for people to recognize brokenness, right? And then we go from brokenness in the world to brokenness in them, in the person that I'm speaking with. And then you start asking the question, so why do you think the world is the way that it is? And why do you think you're the way that you are? Well, you know, blah, 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 man. I, the Bible has an explanation for that, and it's sin. And that, that's the entry into that. Well, I know, but we could fix this. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. Listen, if you do that, you're putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. Like, it doesn't actually help you. If you're going to deal with the brokenness in the world, which I'm all for. If I'm going to deal with the brokenness in myself, which I'm all for. I have to deal with the cause of that, not just the symptom. And the cause is sin. Well, then, how do we deal with our sin? Well, some people try on religion. Some people try on this. Some people try on that. Some people try just forgetting about it altogether. They medicate themselves until they, they can't think about it anymore. But Jesus offers the best solution to sin. What does he do? He forgives it. <laughs> he forgives it. So that, that is how I have learned to talk to some of uh, uh, the people that I get to share the gospel with, is I start with brokenness in the world, move to brokenness in them, in the person that I'm talking to, and then can talk about sin from there. But don't make any mistake, our, our gospel is the, the story that we get to tell. It's a story of trans, transformation, and it's a story of forgiveness. You and I could be reconciled, made right with God because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Keep going, verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also um, to Gentiles, <clears throat> excuse me, that they should repent, turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Verse 22, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here, and then he uses this word, testifying. He stands here announcing. And so that's, that's the third part I want you to think about. The message is transformation and it's forgiveness, but it's announcement. Okay? We're not, we don't enter into, de, into a debate. We're not saying, oh, you know, in my opinion, blah, 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 or I feel like, blah, blah, blah. no, no, this is just an announcement. Hey, this is what happened. This is the reality that Jesus has died. He has risen. This is an announcement. That's what he's saying here. I'm just saying here, I am standing here saying the exact same thing that I've always said. It's an announcement. We're speaking, if you will, to facts, not, not just offering our opinion. In verse 23, or let's continue on. Let's just keep reading. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said will come to pass. So don't miss that. He's testifying to whom? Who is he testifying? To small and to great. Small and great. Back in verse 20, he talked about how he was going to uh, uh, bring this witness to both Jews and Gentiles. Small, great, Jews, Gentiles. The gospel is universal. So small and great, those of low estate and those who are in charge of multiple things, right? Those who are uh, uh, at the bottom of the, the uh, org chart and those who occupy the C-level offices. Small and great, Jews and Gentiles, religious, irreligious, those who grew up around this and can speak the language and those who have no language whatsoever or concept for this. Those who grew up with a worldview that makes sense to them and, and kind of has religion as a part of it, spiritual life as a part of it, and those who are completely materialistic. The, the gospel is universal. The message that we 
speak is universal. There is not a person that you know, that you work with, that you live beside, that you recreate with, that, that is on your kid's baseball team, or what. There is not a person you know that does not need to hear this message. It's universal. It's for everybody, small and great, Jew and Gentile. Lastly, it is, it is good news. I want to pick up in verse 22 in the middle of there. I am saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. It's good news because God is just telling the same story and he's keeping his promises over and over and over again. He's telling the same story. And then what is that story? Verse 23, that the Christ, that the Messiah must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. It's good news. It's good news that God is keeping his promises. And that promise is that Jesus has come for us, that the Messiah is, has come. He has left heaven, come to earth. He has lived perfectly, and he has died sacrificially in our place and for our sins. He died the death that we deserve to die. And then he rose victoriously so that you and I could have not only forgiveness, but also life and freedom. That's the message that we get to, to proclaim. It is good news. It's not just news. It's good news because we all need it, every, every one of us. And I don't, I don't know how you interact today with why you should tell this story over and over and over again, over, over again. But here's what I do know. The more um, we live and then speak this story, of what God has done for us, and specifically what he has done for us in Jesus. The more we rehearse that in our own lives, the more we will see the ripples go far, far out, further than we could ever predict it. And my guess is that some of you are here today and you, you've got somebody on your mind. Like, oh yeah, that person. I really need to talk to them. I need to buy them a cup of coffee this week or have them over for dinner. I, I, need to, I need to tell this story to them. We're going to pray in just a minute, and I think you ought to pray for that opportunity. Some of you come, and man, you may just have more questions or be more curious than ever now. Like, why would Paul continue to tell this story over and over and over again like a broken record? Well, it's the story that he loved to tell. It's a story of grace. Every one of us in here needs grace. And the good news is, is that when we turn to Jesus, we find grace. We find grace. And that's what we're going to sing about here in just a second. So I want to lead us in a prayer and then offer us an opportunity to respond together.